Good afternoon to you all. And last time I was here, I preached on the first three verses of Revelation. I've moved on a little bit since that time, and so this afternoon, I'll preach to you on Revelation 3, 1 to 6, the message of the ascended Christ to the church in Sardis. Don't want any of the kids to think this is in Chilliwack. So, these seven churches, there you have a, it's the only slide I have. So, they were in Asia Minor in those days. If there's an Asia Minor, there would be an Asia Major, so the big province of Asia. Today, that would be Turkey. And there you see where the church of Sardis is. John is on the island of Patmos, which is south of Ephesus, roughly by the island K-O-S. Okay, you can put the uh, theme on. Just to get the background, I'll read to you from Revelation 1, verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation, and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We go to chapter 3, the verses 1 to 6. 
and to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation or the name of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. So the message of this afternoon is not just to Sardis. It is to all the seven churches. They read each other's mail, so to speak. And seven being the number of fullness or perfection, this message is for all the churches in the first century and for all the churches throughout the ages. It is also for the church of Pathway. The summary of the sermon is, as God's missional church, we need to be alive in the Spirit. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, it is such a beautiful privilege to be a missional Christian. And when I use the word missional church and missional Christian, I'm actually saying the same thing twice. Because a Christian, by his very nature, is missional. And a church, by its very nature, is missional. So I shouldn't really have to say a missional church or a missional Christian. I do it anyway, even though from an English language point of view, it's uh, tautologous or something like that. It's uh, that way. I, st I still say that because we don't tend to think enough that way, that being a Christian is, by definition, missional. And a church is by definition, missional. So it's such a beautiful privilege to be a missional Christian. And taking my cue from what a Christian is from Lord's Day 12, question and answer 32, I'm going to say that a Christian is someone who shares in the anointing of Christ. As the Lord Jesus Christ was the bearer of the Spirit, he was conceived by the Spirit, he was baptized by the Spirit, he went into the desert in the Spirit, 
He fulfilled his ministry in the Spirit. He even ascended into heaven in the Spirit. As the Lord Jesus Christ was the bearer of the Spirit, so a Christian, because she shares in the anointing of the Lord Jesus Christ, is also a bearer of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus. And as such, we Christians, we continue the anointed presence of Jesus in this world. As a Christian, you are the eyes of Jesus. You are the ears of Jesus. You are the mouth of Jesus. You are the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Being a Christian, a bearer of the Spirit, entails being alive in the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is true for being a missional Christian is also true for being a missional church. The church as a body is also the bearer of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the church is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ here on this earth. Jesus' physical body is in heaven, but his spiritual body is here on this earth. And I know that's a metaphor, the body, but there's something literal about it. This local congregation is a manifestation, actually a physical manifestation of the spiritual body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, you as members of this congregation, you look at others with the eyes of Jesus. You look at them with compassion, like Jesus did. You listen to others with the ears of Jesus. You speak into the lives of others with the mouth of Jesus, also calling them to repentance if they need to be called to repentance. You give with your hands to archway or other needy causes with the hands of Jesus. And you, you go to places and you go to people like Jesus would go to people. Continuing the anointed presence of Jesus in Abbotsford, in this world, being united to the Lord Jesus Christ through the bond of the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit generates, Christian life is a generated life, as the Holy Spirit generates act of obedience, the beauty of the act of obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Now here's the question. If others were to evaluate your life as a Christian and your life as a local congregation, what would they say? 
Would they say that pathway is alive in the spirit of Christ? Or would they say something else? And here's an even more deeper question. If the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, who has eyes like a flaming fire, who can look right into every nook and cranny of our lives and of our soul, if this Lord Jesus Christ were to evaluate your life as a Christian, and your life as a Christian congregation, as families, as marriages, as brothers and sisters who engage in the communion of saints together. What would the Lord Jesus Christ say? Would he say that you were alive in the Spirit, or would he say something else? Our text of this afternoon tells us that it is of utmost importance to be alive in the Spirit. It's written to the church in Sardis, and it's also written to us, as I mentioned. Now, for the younger ones among us, if I were to mention the town of Lytton, right, Lytton, in BC, what would come to your mind? This town was what? Once burned completely to the ground, right? June 30, 2021. People at that time, if you heard the name Sardis mentioned, they would also think of something. Sardis was located on a high hill, some 1,500 feet high. And the hill had perpendicular walls on three sides. You couldn't scale those walls. And the other side was a very steep side. So the city of Sardis throughout the ages was very complacent and imagined itself to be safe and secure. Sometimes they were asleep at the wheel. And one night when they were asleep at the wheel, the Persians came and they conquered the city. You mentioned Lytton, you know what happened. You mentioned Sardis, people at that time knew what happened as well. The Lord Jesus Christ writes his letter to this church. It's a lampstand. You wondered why I took this, but I knew I needed it. It's a lampstand. You know the Jewish menorah, the lampstand in the temple and the tabernacle. One stand, seven arms. So there's one in the middle, and then there's three arms that branch out like that. Seven of these things. The church is a lampstand. And I think it tells us something about the church. That's also why I use the word missional in the theme. I think it tells us that the church receives its light from the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. 
And in receiving the light of the Lord Jesus Christ through faith, the openness and the responsiveness of faith, the church becomes the light of Turkey, the light of the world, the light of Abbotsford. It's like shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this world or this land with the Father's glory. Shine, Jesus, shine through pathway, in pathway, and let pathway radiate the light of Jesus to one another and to the citizens in Abbotsford and surrounding area. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, he introduces himself as the one who has the seven stars. You read commentaries and there's not a whole lot of agreement on who these seven stars are. So I'll just tell you, I went with this interpretation. The stars are the angels, everybody knows that, but then what is the link? I went with the interpretation that an angel is a messenger. And so these seven stars are the seven messengers of the seven churches. And who knows, maybe they even were going to go to John on the island of Patmos. So the ascended Christ has these messengers of the churches in his hand. And if he has the messengers of the churches in his hand, I'm going to tell you that he has the whole church in his hand as well. And in chapter 1 we read that he has them in his right hand. Now most people are right-handed. and So the right hand is the hand of power. It is the hand of authority. And so when the Lord Jesus Christ introduces himself to the church of Sardis in this manner, he is saying, I'm not just the Savior of the church, I'm also the Lord of the church. I have power and authority over you. And as such, he doesn't waste any time. If you read through some of the other letters, at home perhaps, you'll notice that Jesus usually has something good to say about the church. He congratulates them. He has a word of affirmation before he has a word of correction. But there's no affirmation here in Sardis. It's pretty bleak. It's pretty bad. And he gets right to the point and he says, I know that you have a name or a reputation for being alive. You have a name for being a flourishing church. But in actual fact, you are dead. Where have you heard that contrast before between spiritual death and being spiritually alive? I think of Ephesians 2, for instance. Once you were dead in your sins and trespasses, but, verse 4 and onwards, you have been made alive in Christ. And so instead of the church, this is what I hear Jesus saying. 
Instead of the church being alive in Christ, spiritually alive in Christ, it was dead in sin. Just in case you're not convinced yet that this dead means being dead in sin, later on in the letter he says, but you have a few names of people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. That's what this dead is all about. These people are soiling, spiritually soiling their garments with unholy living taking place in Sardis. And you ask yourself the question, how, how in the world could this ever happen? And that question presses all the more when you realize that in the letter to Sardis there are no threats mentioned. No opposition. When you read some of the other letters, in one of the churches there are people who are holding to the teaching of Balaam. In another church they are tolerating a woman called Jezebel. In a third church, the Jewish, the unbelieving Jewish community, unbelieving in Jesus, is making life difficult for the Christian church, so much so that Jesus says, the Jewish synagogue is a synagogue of Satan. There's nothing. There's no opposition. No threats in this letter to the church of Sardis. Which would seem to mean that the members of the church of Sardis in general got along with everybody. So much so that there were no threats. There was no opposition. But this in turn would imply that the majority, not the whole church here, as I already told you, there's a few that haven't soiled their garments, it would mean, it would imply that the majority of the members of the church of Sardis had significantly accommodated to the sinful way of life in Sardis. So much so that instead of being full of the Spirit of Christ, alive in the Spirit, they were full of sin. Full of sin. As someone once said, it would seem that life in the congregation of Sardis would probably be that people were going through the motions of Christianity. Nominal Christianity, as someone once said having the name of being a Christian, having the name or the reputation of being alive, but missing the power of the Holy Spirit. The far cry, a far cry of the beautiful privilege of being the body of Christ, representing Christ in the city of Sardis, in the city of of Abbotsford, representing with a hyphen between re and presenting, making Christ present again through your words, through your lifestyle, in your surrounding. Far cry, having a name, but not the power. Well, to this church, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ simply says, you got to wake up. 
And if your church is in the city of Sardis, and you know the history of Sardis, just like we know the history of Lytton, and Jesus says, you got to wake up, these people would immediately understand what that meant. We need to be on guard. We need to be vigilant. Wake up, says Jesus, and strengthen what remains. See, there you already have a clue that not everybody is dead. Dead in sin. Full of sin in Sardis. There are some people who are almost dead. Spiritually dead. I think I read somewhere, someone said they were like on, on life support. Spiritual life support. Their works are way below par, but they're not quite dead yet. Strengthen what remains. And admonish them. Because spiritual revival is possible. Did you notice how the ascended Christ introduced himself in addition to having the seven stars, the seven angels, the seven messengers of the churches? What did he also say? I have the what? The seven spirits of God. Now there's only one Holy Spirit so the seven spirits of God is the fullness, the perfection of the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has that. If you remember Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost, and all of that commotion there with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and people asking what does this all mean, and then Peter delivers a beautiful Christ-centered sermon, and near the end of the sermon he says, this Jesus, you know, he ascended into heaven and being enthroned at the right hand of the Father, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, together with the Father, pour out the Spirit. And so when Jesus says, I have the seven spirits, you need to kind of hear Acts 2 behind that. Spiritual revival is possible. How's the Holy Spirit going to bring about this spiritual awakening? Hopefully it would happen. How's he going to do that? Now, according to our text, he's going to use three means. He's going to use the means of remembering, the means of keeping, and the means of repentance. First of all, remembering. What? Why would or how can the faculty of remembering be a means that the Holy Spirit uses to arouse people out of their spiritual deadness or their spiritual slumber? The metaphors kind of overlap. You're either asleep or you're dead, but they both refer to the same thing. Well, the children will remember that when your parents tell you to do something, and you don't do it, and they ask you, why didn't you do it? You may say to them, I forgot. And in saying that you forgot, you're actually saying how important remembering is, because if you would have remembered, you would have done it. See, 
memory has, has the potential to reorient our loves, our desires, our behavior. You see the same thing in relationships. Relationships can be, can be very beautiful in the beginning. And then over time, yeah, these relationships can become a little deflated and maybe even turn sour. And then they come into your study and they don't get along all that well. And you may just kind of ask, how was it in the beginning? And the beginning was really good. It was very good. And then you can say to the couple, why don't you focus on that beginning and see if you can recapture the beauty of that beginning. Remembering, the faculty of remembering has that power to reorder, reorient your life in a very positive direction. Relationally, kids with their parents and also in the church where the church is in a spiritual slumber. And Jesus says, remember what you have received and what you have heard. Remember the gospel when you received it and when you heard it. The privilege of being a missional Christian. The privilege of being a missional congregation. The body of the Lord Jesus Christ in the city. Representing the Lord Jesus Christ to one another, and to a watching world. Remember that, and allow that remembering to reorient, to redirect your life into a positive direction. And keep what you have received and heard. Live in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. So to the Spirit. Be alive in the Spirit. Don't resist Him by dirtying your clothing, spiritually dirtying your garments. Don't quench Him. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Keep what you remember. Keep when that reorienting takes place. Hang on to that. This will mean repentance. Always two prongs to repentance. There's a mental thing and there's a behavioral thing. You need to change your mind because your thinking influences your behavior. I think I read on your website that you want to be a literate, a theologically literate church. Is that right, Pastor Phil? A theologically literate church. And that's one of the reasons why you have the book table. Because the church believes, or the leadership believes, that your thinking, how you theologically think, influences how you live your life. Plus, of course, you have to have something to share with the people when they ask you a question. So repentance 
you got to change your thinking about this soiling your garments, this significant accommodation with the unholy living in Sardis, this nominal Christianity, this empty shell of being a Christian, that God would actually be pleased with that. You need to change your mind about that. And you need to change your behavior. Be a lampstand. Be responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. With a spirit of openness, receive the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. And be one of his lampstands here on this earth, in the city of Sardis, in the city of Abbotsford. And if you're not going to do that, if you're not going to be responsive to the work of the Holy Spirit, and I'm talking from a human perspective, of course, if you're not going to wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. Again, the Lytton story. The Sardis story. The Persians came like a thief in the night in judgment upon the city of Sardis. Likewise, the glorified Lord Jesus Christ will come like a thief in the night in judgment. Wake up or else that's going to happen. And then Jesus says, but there are some. There are some names of people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. It's easy to read over this, but you, but you need to hear this in the background where Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep by name. So there you got the church of Sardis. It wouldn't have been a big church. These are house churches. 20, 30 people maybe, or two or three locations, you might have 90, 100 people, and the majority is dead in sin, in the spiritual slumber, with some on life support, and then you have the smaller group, a few names who have not soiled their garment. Jesus, Jesus knows you by name. Of course he knows you by name, because you were baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He knows you by name. And he will acknowledge you before his heavenly Father and before the holy angels. Can you imagine how beautiful that will be? You've faithfully been a bearer of the Spirit. You are worthy. You are worthy to enter into the kingdom of heaven prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Worthy not in yourself, but worthy because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in you with his Holy Spirit. And they will be clothed in white. Now, if you know a little bit more about the history of that time, 
and actually I don't know a whole lot about the history of that time. I just read this in books, and then I can tell you <laughs> what the history of that time is. But if the Roman army would come back victoriously from a battle, the Roman citizens would often, this is in Rome, the Roman citizens would often wear white garments, and they would, they would join the victory parade. And if people in those days knew, were familiar with that custom, and now the glorified Jesus said, they will be clothed in white garments. I think they might have thought about that. And so when Jesus returns, those few names, those few people who have not soiled their garments will join the victory parade of the Lord Jesus Christ. And their names will not be blotted out of the book of life. In the Old Testament, you can read that the names of the citizens of Jerusalem were written in a registrar, in a book. And it was a custom in the Greco-Roman world of that time that cities also had these registers, these books with the names of the people that lived in the city. But sometimes your name could be blotted out out of an earthly book. If you died a death by execution, for instance, they would blot your name out of the book. And Jesus says to these people who have not soiled their garments, your name will never be blotted out of the book of life. It will always remain there. He who has an ear, says Jesus, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, plural. You're all sitting there now, and you're listening very attentively. And maybe the Holy Spirit has worked a little bit of conviction in your heart. But sometimes on Monday or Tuesday, the conviction is gone. And you just continue with your life. When Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear, it's like, let this really sink in. Like Pastor Phil, who prayed that the seed would fall into good soil, and not 40 or 60. I think I'd be happy with 60, but a hundredfold, right? That, that's, you have to hear that. Let it really sink in. And so I come back to my questions at the beginning. How alive are you? as a Christian? How alive are you as a Christian congregation? Spiritually alive in the spirit as families, husbands and wives in the communion of the saints. How far, how far might you and I because when I preach, I always preach to myself as well. How far might you and I have accommodated to any sinful way of life in our culture? Where might there be some nominal Christianity 
in your life and in my life. Where might you and I need to hear the summons to awake from any spiritual slumber that we might be in? Where might you and I need to remember what we have received and heard? Where might we need to remember not to soil our garments with the unholy living of the culture we live in? And I could say amen here, but I'm not going to. Because the nice thing is, Jesus is offering you grace this afternoon. And he's offering me grace. He's offering you forgiving grace. He says, come to me. Come to me for forgiveness. For any accommodation that you have made with the unholy way of living in the culture in which you live. And he's offering you liberating grace. Just come. Come to me. There may be all sorts of things in your life that hinder you from being alive in the Spirit. Spiritual obstacles. Come. Come to me for freedom from those kind of things and more. If I set you free, says Jesus, you are free indeed. And Jesus says, come. Come to me for healing grace. For transforming grace. Because, because I was always alive in the Spirit. I never accommodated in one way or another with any unholy way of life when I lived my life here on this earth. So come. Come to me for healing grace. As you put me on through faith and clothe yourself with me so that I can do in you what I have done for you. Amen. Let's pray and give thanks. Thank you, Father, for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiving grace that he offers to each one of us this afternoon. May we all receive it with thankfulness and experience the cleansing for any accommodation that we have made or still make with the unholy way of life in the world in which we live. Thank you, Father, for his liberating grace. May each one of us receive this too, so that we can be freed from any unholy way of living that still clings to us like a dirty shirt. Thank you, Father for the healing and transforming grace of the Lord Jesus. Enable us to put on the Lord Jesus through faith. 
so that he can do in us what he has done for for us and increasingly transform us into his own image. Father, we all long to be made whole as those who have been redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We all long to be bearers of your Spirit so that we can continue the anointed presence of the Lord Jesus Christ as individual Christians, as parents, as spouses, as members of this congregation. So fill us, Father, every day again with your Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray for the world in which we live where people intentionally soil their garments every day again in unthankfulness and disobedience to you. Bring many to faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ before he returns as judge. And use also the missional life of this local congregation to snatch some of them from the fire of your coming judgment. In Jesus' name, amen.